All right, thank you so much. Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you, worship team. Such a fantastic job today, bringing the presence of the Lord and the word of the Lord in the, in the, uh, uh, the choruses that we, that we sang. Uh, you know, summertime is a busy time. Uh, people leave and people go. and uh, Leave and go is the same. Yeah. <laughs> come. And Ed and Judy have come back. I don't know if the flood waters chased you out or not, but we don't care whatever it was that did it. We're, we're glad to have Ed and Judy back this, uh, this morning. Would you give them a nice warm welcome back today from Texas? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Bless you and uh, each one that's here today. Uh, Glenda's here. She's this lady. She finds out she has a needs a hip replacement because it's fractured and, you know, and boom, boom, boom. She's, it's over with, and here she is again this morning, and she's, she's a trooper. I, I'm, surgery's coming up on me, and Pam, she, she had surgery. Now Glenda's had surgery, and they all just jumped right back into the collar, and I was thinking about taking a little bit of time off, but I, I can't let anybody beat me, you know what I mean, in recovery time. But uh, anyway, hallelujah. God is so good, so wonderful. The presence of the Lord is here this morning. Father, we thank you. We bless you. You're already here. Your people are here. Father, there's uh, many absent, but God, those that are present, you have spread a table. We thank you for that this morning. We ask you to extend your blessing, Lord, to the body of Christ, whether it's presence in this place this morning in the body, but may somehow, God, they be present by your spirit. We thank you, and we pray that our lives will be enriched in every way. Amen. This morning, there's an oil, uh, there's a balm that is flowing from the throne of God, a balm that is is for healing and uh, it is not purely a healing for the, the physical, but uh, I feel like the Lord said that that winter, the winter experience has went ahead and left a, you know some uh, arenas still captured, so kind of like by the ice age. It needs to break out. That you've had some winter in your life, and you know, while spring and the natural is coming, it still hasn't went ahead and sprung forth in your soul and in your faith and in your expectations. Uh, and that's not uncommon. Uh, seasons are a real thing, they're real naturally. And they're real also spiritually. It doesn't make any difference. Let me rephrase that. There are things that cause those seasons. And that is very impactful. And to you that have experienced and went through a winter season, you know, it's, it's, it's a very real fact. It's a very real fact. And, um, but I just feel like God, you know, he wants to, to break you out of that winter. He wants to break you out of the effect that, that, that winter had, all right? That, that experience, that, that loss, that disappointment, uh, you know, that dream that somehow has 
you know, uh, kind of went up in vapor. And uh, uh, it's not that you're not moving, it's not that you're not living, but there, there's a wholeness that God wants to, to bring into your life. And he says there's a, there's a, there's a balm that's flowing this morning. And so uh, I believe it is, and, and, and I hope that my words will, will just, you know, uh, uh, assist that, uh, what the Holy Spirit is, is doing this morning, to help you find joy when life hurts the most, when life sours, that somehow you find something sweet to go ahead and some nectar in your life, some hopeful thoughts that when you feel like a failure, and you realize that you're, you're not, when those issues in life wipe the smile out of your soul, not just a smile from your lips, the smile from your soul. You see, I'm not talking about the driver that got in your way, you know, and frustrated you for a moment and disturbed you and changed the countenance of your smile for a moment and finally he got out of the way and you went on. I'm talking about those things that went ahead and, you know, has diminished the smile that your soul is endeared to have. That you'll be inspired and encouraged that to trust God when the miracle doesn't come. When the urgent prayer, it just gets no answers. And when all the words that people can give to you, and the words of comfort and understanding and cards and hands extended, it feels more like cold comfort than warm comfort. Not the absence of, you know, that the comfort wasn't warm. But the winter of life has went ahead and is still controlling the temperature of how you feel. How you see. Your anticipations. See, says that your adversary, the devil, goes around as a roaring lion, seeking to devour those whom he may. Some of you have learned how to, you know what I mean, just knock him out of the way. At other times, there will be seasons in life that just get lengthened out. And you find yourself... In those moments when you want to shout like Jesus did, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you say, no, pastor, it's never happened in your life. Well, maybe you've never shouted it, but I'll guarantee you that the thought has passed through your soul. If God could just be a little more audible and if he could just arrive a little sooner 
you know, and if he would pay just a little more attention to me and, you know, uh, you know, I mean, hey, if Jesus, the Son of God, could find moments that he cried it out, and I don't think it's uncommon that sometimes we will do also. Why? Because every day is not positive. No. But the good news is this morning is, is that when things are going wrong in your life, and that wrong can have a variety of dimensions, small to great. But I want you to know today that when they go wrong, God is not in heaven celebrating the positive that are coming. Follow me here. No, he's on the ground. And he's passing out hope and he's passing out comfort. See, God understands what the future is. He knows that it's going to turn around. But he's interested in helping you know it, too. The story of Lazarus comes to us, and he says, he hears his predicament and his sickness, and he delays his coming. And then he finally arrives And he sees the sorrow. He sees the effects of the winter upon his family. Notice that even though he knows the outcome, even though he knows that he's going to raise him from the dead, what does he do? He weeps. Oh, what an amazing personal, you know, God. He knows that he's going to raise him from the dead. But he steps down with the hand of comfort and tears of understanding and relating he wants to help us break out of the effects of winter break out of the results of his showing up late are you following me So he's not on the sidelines uninvolved. No, because Jesus is not just in your life. He's in your livelihood. He's in your livelihood. You got to catch that. He's not just getting you from here to with the ultimate goal of eternity. He's here to regain for you the losses 
that come through the events of, of life. See, God wanted you to know that your personal life is important. And so he said, he went ahead and ventured into every area of life so he could understand that he's not just saying, I understand. But he's saying, I understand. Why? Because I walked it. I've been there. Only the Almighty God could put that all together. So God has made the promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says this. And we know that all things work together for good. He's saying God is working for my good. God is working for my good. The winter season, the lack of fruit that winter sometimes produces. Sometimes winter doesn't always produce the rest that it's originally designed for in creation. Sometimes it overstresses. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I know that New seeds can be overstressed by winter. And sometimes there's new seeds that have went into the ground and a winter comes and stresses that new seed. While it's out of and not exactly like the parable of the sower, we can begin to discover, you know, from that parable of the sower that Drought comes, stress comes, and it can make the seed become unfruitful. It was the psalmist that wrote this in Psalms chapter 25, verse 17 and 18. The trouble of my heart have enlarged. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Have you ever had any that started out and got worse? Bring me out of my distresses. How do, I, how do you know if you need some help in your distresses? Is, you know, are, you really, are you really dreaming? Look at my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Let's talk about failure for a moment. Failure and success. Sometimes it's real and sometimes it's imagined. Fact of the matter, success is relative. Failure is a perspective. And both of them set 
predetermined expectations. The feeling of success inspires us, but the feelings of failure so oftentimes will immobilize us. Disappointment, you know, is, is, a, is oneself is heartbreaking and soul-damaging. The soul is such an important part of you and I. The soul. He came to save the soul. If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, he's interested in your soul's health, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Emotions, not emotions, emotions. He's interested in it. Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's a sickness that comes from winter months and delays. But when desire comes, it's a tree of life. When your soul is sick, so is your outlook. That's just a fact. You can tell if you have, you know, some sickness, it's your outlook. We all have probably failed. But failure need not be fatal. Nor should it define us. Because invariably it's relative to your perspective. It can teach us, however. Just because you make a mistake doesn't make you a mistake. We need to break it. Just because you have failed doesn't mean that you need to feel like a failure. We need to break it. And that's what God wants to do. You're going to move into our soul. It was Scott Fitzgerald that said this, never confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. You know that when those boys went to state, even though they lost at state, they're winners. The one loss does not define their season. But the enemy loves to use the one losses to try to get us to define our lives. We have 15, 16, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Anybody over 90? Uh, You know what I mean? And out of those 90 years or whatever the years might be, we have all years of success in one year of failure, and he'll go ahead and he'll magnify the one year. Endeavoring to get you to launch your life, move your life, hinder your life by the one year or the one event, the one thing. But the Bible is full of messed up heroes. Men who messed up and still 
become heroes. I don't know what it is. And you start reading the Bible, there's more of us men mess up than women. God help us. Ladies, I can have an amen there if you know. You take amen. <laughs> you take a look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Here's Abraham and Isaac both. They went ahead and risked their wives for their own protection. Yep, pretty selfish, isn't it? Moses, Elijah, David, Peter, they all messed up heroes. Flawed and imperfect. The wonderful thing about forgiveness is that it does not excuse sin, but it covers it from its own covering. It covers it from its own covering. When you forgive somebody, you are taking your own covering and saying, I'm going to put it on them. Really, in essence, you're doing this, is you're saying, I'm going to take the forgiveness that I've been given, and I'm going to go ahead and transfer it to you. I think as a people, we have to become more forgiving. In my time as in the kingdom, I've noticed that sometimes there was a readiness to, forgi- to accept forgiveness for ourselves, but be reluctant to afford forgiveness to others. And we'll give forgiveness, but we've got a lot of strings attached to our forgiveness. Somebody tell me I'm doing a good job here. Yeah. So we'll break that. I'm going to take our forgiveness and we're going to cover, you know, with the forgiveness that God has given us. Forgive says, even as God has forgiven you. So when you forgive, you're not excusing you're covering. Those failures and those times in life can be embarrassing. I want to encourage you this morning to embrace God in your embarrassment. Stop the pity parties. Let's get a recovery party. fact of the matter is that embarrassment is a trained hunter of human failure. It stalks beneath the surface of everyday circumstances, just waiting to sink its teeth into the failings in our losses. 
It's just the way it is. If you're here this morning and there's something in your life that you're embarrassed about, you don't break embarrassment by telling it publicly. You understand how God treats embarrassment in your life. And the first embarrassment that happened in history is found in the book of Genesis. It says that Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And God comes in there to have time with them, and they're not coming out. Why? They're embarrassed. They're embarrassed. Something in their life has happened, has changed, and they're embarrassed about it, and so they're hiding themselves, and God says, you know, why? Because I was afraid, and because I was naked, I didn't have a covering. I'm exposed. I'm exposed. So I hid myself and so shame. And so what happens with embarrassment is that you want to escape. You want to escape. Boy, I tell you, defeat it, overcome it. Don't try to escape. Just come into his presence. When shame and embarrassment comes into your life, you know what I mean? You, 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 you put yourself into loneliness. You choose loneliness. You hide. You don't have to. There's forgiveness with God. And by God's grace, there's forgiveness with God's people. Somebody help me there, because that's you and I. And then what happens is self-depreciation. Self-depreciation is like a knife in your own hand. You're barely alive in the first place, and, you know... And you begin to put yourself down. Stabbing yourself. And then legalism sets in. I could have prevented this. Been better. If I would have been better. Probably true. But it's not carelessness that says what it is what it is. What do you do if you feel failure and see failure doesn't have to be public, failure can just be personal. Sometimes God and I just have a failure time.
But if you got failure, and we all do in some arenas, we need to claim appropriate responsibility. We need to admit and reframe and take effective action. And why should I, Pastor? Because I want to show you God's response to Adam's embarrassment. God's response to Adam's embarrassment. It says, And the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. <laughs> What's he doing with their failure and their mistake? He's taking the initiative. He's removing the embarrassment from their life and he's providing a covering for them. So God provides a covering for their embarrassment. And then God provides protection for them. For years, we've always... At least the way I've heard it, maybe you've saw it different, is, you know, somehow that this setting in the garden is judgment on Adam and Eve. Let's look at the other angle of it. Let's look at the other angle of it, what God was really saying. God is saying, I'm going to put you out of here because this place isn't safe for you anymore. God delivers them so that that won't be their destiny. What won't be their destiny? That they won't have to live in sin forever. Because still in the midst of the garden was the tree of life. God himself said, you know, I got to get them out of there because they can eat of it. And the state in which they eat of it is their destiny for eternity. And so he moves them out of, this is not a bad place, but for their own protection. Got to get you out of there because you can go ahead and seal your future by a wrong choice, a wrong decision. And that's fantastic. He not only covers them, he protects them. And he provides an escape for them. My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are thoughts, your thoughts. It's amazing. He says, I don't want you to be this. I don't want this to be your life forever. And then he provides perspective. In chapter 4, he opens up a whole brand new world for him. He blesses their life. 
Scripture says that Eve said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. God doesn't want you to stay in your embarrassment, your failure. He wants to open a new chapter in your life. He wants you to begin to see the greater world that he's got. These men of failure had a vision of a greater world, a world that, that began to inspire the life that they lived then. And that's what everyone needs. They need to see him who is invisible so that their life can be motivated to the purpose that God has called them to in the first place. And I can tell you that God's God's purpose for your life, you know what I mean, is not independent of your life. Now, are there people that haven't found their purpose? Absolutely. But God, he just just has a way of arranging us. I didn't get here because God, or because I wanted to get here. (laughs) I got here because God wanted me here. I tell you, the, the divineness and the sovereignty of God is, is just phenomenal. You can resist God, absolutely. You can reject God. That, that, that's very true. But you're here this morning, but you're not trying to reject God. When you see the greater world, that will minimize your failed world. Jacob was given a vision of a bigger world in his desert, which could have been, is the word I started out with, the winter. Jacob just happened to live in the desert. Well, it was in his desert that he got a vision of the bigger world. As he saw that the activity of heaven, you know what I mean, was intended to come in, come to earth. He saw the angels going up and down. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Joshua had a glimpse of that other world just before his battle in Jericho. Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration 
got introduced to that heavenly realm. Paul on the road to Damascus had a glimpse of another reality. And here's John in the Isle of Patmos in a cave. And God gives him a vision. And all of a sudden, perspective changes. Begin to look forward. And when you do that, you'll begin to revisit, be able to revisit your failure, your winters, with new eyes of hope. Because hope deferred is not the end of that passage. Hallelujah. Don't stop at the comma. But when desire comes, it is a tree of life. The enemy loves to freeze you in your delay. God wants to relieve you out of your your delay. There's a story of the, the disciples. It's a story of them, which we know they were fishermen, and Jesus comes to them, and he's at the water's edge of the day, and he has a mission to do, and there's two boats there, and the boats are there because the disciples are just washing their nets. They're, I, I don't fish with nets, and I've fished with a, one line, you know what I mean, and I know that you can get you know, junk on it, and you've got to clean it off, and so here you've got this net. And it's been in the water, and it's accumulated all kinds of junk. But there's no fish in it. Just junk. The night is, all it's brought is junk. Seaweed. Bottom of the lake. That's all that's there. A little bit disappointing. They weren't quitters. <coughs> they didn't go out for an hour or two and then say, ah, you know, throw it in. Fished all night. Nets are empty. Maybe you've put a lot of time in. It seems like your net came up empty. The good master has not been blind to your empty nights. The good master is fully well aware 
of the debris that's been caught. In your nets. And you know what that means? Your livelihood. The nets were their livelihood. And sometimes our livelihood, you know, almost comes up with nothing but junk. Jesus says, guys, would you just turn your boat over to me just for a moment? I've got a word of life I want to preach. And so they courageously, you know, and willingly go ahead and let him use them. And I guess you know the story. He says, let's try again. Experience, which is history, says, you know what I mean? This is a, those fish just don't come back that quick. The weather's not right. The wind's not blowing right. And now the sun's not shining. There's clouds. I don't know. I don't know what makes fish bite. <laughs> you don't always have to have the right environment for Jesus to turn things around for you. Right, Joan? You don't. We are so prone for the right environments to expect miracles and generally. You know what I mean? It's simply in the need that miracles come. We know that he said to go ahead and cast, and I'm going to do it just at your word. Sometimes that's all he's asking you to do is just do it because of his word. It doesn't have to make sense. It just has to be because he says so. Because when you just do what he says, you're on the threshold of a miracle. Now, if you don't need a miracle, then you don't need a miracle. But the reason that you're here is because you need a miracle. You're still doing what you need to do. You're washing your nets. You're following through on, you know, your life's vocation. You're doing it. You haven't thrown in the towel. But there's been just a little to no reward for all the work that you put into it. Think about Moms, how much time they put in their kids? Whoa, the hours. There's no such thing as an eight-hour day for a mom.
the frustrating moments, sometimes in the junk. <laughs> Got to clean out the nets again. <laughs> but then as life goes on and years pass and they watch their family become the men and women that they had hoped for and dreamed about. Today you might be sitting where Peter was sitting that day. Your outlook is bleak. Your nets are empty. You've tried everything you know to do and you're ready to give up. I'm not talking about you know, give up your salvation, but giving up expectations, anticipations. You've experienced so many disappointments, you're afraid to dream. You're afraid to reach. You're afraid to stretch. You're afraid to broaden your horizons. Jesus knows how hard you've tried, and he's inviting you today, and he's inviting me to try again, this time with him and at his command. The Lord of new beginnings. He wants to come aboard. Not that he hasn't been aboard, okay, but he wants to come aboard with you now seeing him who is invisible. As we preached last Sunday, this God that spoke the world into existence, that he holds the universe and the galaxies, and there's literally, you know, the innumerable by billions stars in every galaxy, and yet there's Billions of galaxies, and he knows them all by name. And not one of them fails because he holds it there. Are you not much more important to God? Because that's just the backdrop. Hallelujah. That's just the stage. People are the players. And it's the story that God is writing. And you're one of the cast members. And when it comes to your life, you're the star. Or should I say, Jesus is a star, but he's going to shine through you. Somebody give the Lord a praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> this is, this is, there's a balm that's flowing to release the causes of winter from your life and from my life. Because God is not restricted. Our musicians come. God is not restricted by failure. And you know what, church? 
neither is he unleashed by your success. He is God alone. God can use our choices, whether they're brilliant or terrifying. His purposes, because he's what a writer. What a writer. He knows the steps and the missteps that you take. And he also knows that your failures need not stop you. Nor does your success or lack of success need to burden you. They all have value. But they don't have to be the end of the day. It's not your destiny. But what you do have to do, by the grace of God, and that's what he wants to do, help us this morning, is you have to make new tracks. It's like the cross-country skier. You know, the tracks have been made. Dozens of previous. In that case of skiers, it's skiers, but in our lives sometimes it's Previous experiences, same choices, same route, same way. And so it's, it's cut in. And it's hard to take a different path then. It's hard to break out of that. Because literally you're in your own rut. But Jesus said, I'll help you make some new tracks. A path. I'll set you free. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that there is no set verdict that's coming down toward you because there's one who took the verdict. Of our sins. I had a passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11. It says that he is not ashamed to call them brethren. There's a profound unity between Jesus and those he saved. Because he who sanctifies and he who is sanctified are one. There may be those that turn their back. They may bow their head. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. No. I'm not ashamed to call you my brother whoa 
He wants to break the shame off us. He wants to take the bruises of the winter years, the failures that have come into our own imaginations. They're not failures at all. Now, some of them are, but some of them are not real failures at all. The woman caught in adultery. There was all kinds of people that were ready to stone her for her. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Well, isn't what she did wrong? Absolutely. But he stepped up and said, I'm going to cover. I'm going to cover your failure. I'm going to cover your embarrassment. I'm going to cover your shame. I'm going to cover it. Oh, hallelujah. And all these things, you're more than conquerors. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our, our sins. Would you let it go? He has. Well, I think you should suffer a little bit because you, if you don't suffer, you might just go ahead and do it again. That's a risk God is willing to take. It's got to be a risk that we're willing to take. It's got to be a risk that we're willing to take. There's more freedom and forgiveness than there is in condemnation. There's more future. When we'll forgive than when we condemn. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I want you to just, see, he's projecting her in the right direction. He's got confidence in his forgiveness. Go and sin no more. The word of the Lord is to someone is saying, you know, you do have a future. In other words, something, you had a future, you were heading toward it, and somehow there was a break. Somehow there was a damage that took place. Somehow there was an event that happened. And out of that event, society, in all of the the tentacles of that, that seem to accompany those times have wrapped you up. And you're a believer and you're going on with God. But you've given up that dream, that future. And God is saying, 
you still have that future. It may, you know, look a little different. It may have, you know what I mean, some different elements to it. But you still have that future. Because the gifts and callings of God were without repentance. He hasn't changed his mind. He just might adjust the subject. Hallelujah. Just a little bit. Give the Lord a praise this morning. I know we got to go. But hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. May God put the smile back in your soul this week in Jesus' name. Go with God because he's going to go with you. All right? Bless you.